Keep up with the new. Keep up with the important. Keep up with it all on Keeping Up With The Current. Get your news fix for the day, stay informed and up to date with current affairs and the issues that matter. Nadia has you covered on Keeping Up With The Current. It's a parent's worst nightmare, waking up only to find out that their child has died. Well, a recent survey of almost 400 new Aussie parents and parents-to-be has found that sudden infant death syndrome is their number one fear. And it's no wonder why. Every year in Australia, many parents endure the heartbreaking loss of a baby through sudden infant death, with no answers as to why this might have occurred. Well, the unpredictability of SIDS scares new parents who anxiously want to keep their baby safe. And as a mother who lost a child to sudden infant death syndrome, Karen Lutsky has been determined to support other bereaved parents and families who are in the same boat. She is now the CEO of Red Nose Australia, which is a national charity founded to reduce the incidence of SIDS and deaths among babies. And Karen Lutsky joins us now on Keeping Up With The Current. Karen, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Red Nose Australia has released new data that shows parents of newborns and those expecting are extremely concerned about SIDS. So for those who are listening and don't know what it is, what is sudden infant death syndrome? So sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS is where a um, healthy baby gets put down to sleep um, and doesn't wake up. So it is actually a diagnosis of exclusion where, other, where after thorough investigation, they haven't been able to find any cause of death from birth to 12 months. From birth well. to 12 months, yep. So looking at this uh, recent survey, what did it consist of and what were the findings? So we surveyed around 400 um, new or expectant parents and asked them what they were most worried about. And um, I I guess we were surprised in some ways to see that 90% of respondents said that they were worried about SIDS, Um, 70% said they were worried about stillbirth and 70% said they were worried about general baby safety. And I think the other part that was interesting for us, we also asked them around their fear around not getting enough sleep. Um, and in fact, only 55% of newer expectant parents were worried about their own sleep. Um, and I, I think for us, what it, it screams out is that the work that Red Nose is doing um, in making sure that we are providing families across the country with the most up-to-date information as possible in keeping their babies safe is still so incredibly important. Absolutely. Karen, this topic is so close to home because you sadly experienced the devastating loss of your child. Um, Do you mind briefly sharing your story with us? Sure. So my third son, Ben, um, I put down to to sleep actually for a really short nap, Feb 14, 1998. And when I went to get him, um, probably around 15, 20 minutes later, Mm. he had died. Wow. In the- um, and I get, I guess, you know, for me, he he was a normal, healthy, three-month-old baby boy. I, I knew SIDS happened. I didn't think it happened to people like me. I'm not sure who I thought it did happen to, but it wasn't me. 
Um, and, you know, it really, for me, realising that, you know, the support that families need after the sudden and unexpected death of a baby or a child, um, you know, is, is really niche and that there's not a lot of, of good support out there that can deal with the incredible intensity of the grief that parents experience. Absolutely. And you never thought that SIDS would happen to your own child. And I'm sure you felt uh, a number of overwhelming emotions, uh, particularly the pain of losing that child, especially so because your child was a healthy child you know and and you a think a child yeah exactly and i think that's yeah. what uh, confuses so many parents out there that you know my child was born um healthy he's doing great he's sleeping great and then in one moment things could change unexpectedly you know you're 100% right that you know the the absolute roller coaster of emotions that come into play you know after after a the death of a baby, it, it's, it's almost difficult to have the words to articulate it because they, it literally, they, it feels like you've been constantly dumped by a wave. Like mm. every time you get back up again, down again, you go. And I think over time, you, you, you learn to swim in the current, you know, exactly. a little better, but it, it, it never goes away. And that's I right. think that, you know, my involvement with Red Nose started, you know, very soon after when, you know, a beautiful, um, counsellor rang me and said, we've heard the horrible news and, you know, with privacy laws changing, we don't, we're not able to do that in the same way anymore. But, you know, I was linked into a community so quickly um, mm. that made me realise that although I never thought this would happen to me and, God, I wish it didn't, I realised I wasn't alone and, you know, where where there's always comfort in community and where you, you're surrounded with a community that through their own pain actually get it. I mm. think that that's a big part of why, you know, the Red Nose has been able to deliver bereavement support in the way that it has for so many years now. Absolutely. I think that's uh, incredibly empowering for those who have lost a child. It is so heartbreaking and you wouldn't know exactly how it feels unless you are in that person's shoes. So I think having that very strong and supportive network of people coming together, trying to, you know, cope with the longstanding struggle. You said, you know, you never get over the pain of losing that child, no. especially to SIDS. So I think it's about, you know, learning to, to swim with the current. And I, and I think that's why, you know, Red Nose Day, which is, you know, our iconic fundraising day, you know, when we talk about the work that Red Nose does, there's there's kind of a heaviness to it. You know, there's a mm. whole bereavement support aspect to it. And then there's all of our prevention messaging and our absolute passion and commitment to making sure that, that parents are given information in a way that makes sense to them. And then we get to Red Nose Day and we talk about very much about getting silly for a serious cause where, you know, we we share silly photos with silly red nose filters, etc. Mm. So that it makes it more okay to talk to have these conversations because mm. they're not they're not conversations that people feel comfortable having. Absolutely. So facilitating discussion and, you know, comfort surrounding talking about that issue that they, as parents, experienced is is very important for coping with that struggle. 
We know that, you know, the exact cause of SIDS isn't quite known, but experts have advised parents to uh, carry out certain steps when it comes to sleeping safely to reduce the risk of cot death. So so what can a parent do? Um, what are some tips that can, you know, help parents keep their baby as safe as possible when they're sleeping? So I'm going to run through the tips, but I'm also going to remind your listeners that they can go onto our website, rednose.org.au, any time, day or night, and all of this information is there. And we also have our safe sleep line that they can ring 9 till 5, Monday to Friday, and ask any question that they want, no matter how silly they might think it is. Mm. Um, we're all about, you know, making sure that we're empowering people with, with answers. But put as simply as we can, we always want baby to be sleeping in their own sleep space um, that is preferably in the room with the parents for the first 6 to 12 months always have bub on their back, um, have the baby down the bottom of the cot. So with very limited, you know, they can go in a, a sleep suit. Um, if you are going to use a blanket with the, the feet down the bottom of the cot, we tuck the blanket in under um, the mattress so that there's no way that the baby can kind of slip down and get stuck under a blanket. But the cot should be clear. And I know, you know, historically we used to love the idea of making a cot look beautiful and we'd put bumpers and pillows and dunas and all the rest of it. We know that the safest cot is is a clear cot so that there's no risk of you know, anything coming in the way of a baby's airway. Uh, we want to make sure that baby's head and face is uncovered. Babies regulate their temperature through their heads. So, and we know that overheating is a risk factor uh, to SIDS. Um, and keep baby in a smoke-free environment, both before birth and after, and if possible, and we know it's not always possible um, to breastfeed. Mm. You know, I guess one of the important points uh, in helping to reduce cases of SIDS is to make sure that your baby um, is sleeping on their back. But there are some parents who are, you know, wondering, now, what if my baby is very advanced? What if they move around a lot and they happen to turn on their stomach? So what would they do in that case? Well, if I, I say to you, that is our most asked question mm. by a country mile because <laughs> babies yeah. are going to roll. And, um, you know, and it's, it's why it's, it's really important that the baby's arms are able to be free and why we don't want you know arms tucked in tightly because if a baby is on its back and it rolls onto its stomach we want them to be able to be able to use their arms to push themselves up if they find themselves in any um, compromised position and flip their way back over mm. it's also why tummy time is really important yep. while baby's awake so the more time that we can have baby it's also a lovely way for dads to connect with their babies during tummy time as well because then what we're doing is we're strengthening the neck and the shoulders so that, that the babies you know do have the strength if they're finding themselves face down and mm. and you know their 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 airways might be compromised they're going to literally use their arms push themselves up and get themselves out of trouble yeah, so ideally you want to give them the motor skills to extricate themselves from, you know, getting their face down into a mattress or into soft material. Exactly. And, and you know, it's why we actually say that we want a firm mattress 
because that makes it so much easier. We don't want sheepskin. We don't want anything foamy in there that, that's going to make it harder for Bub to be able to kind of, you know, use their skills to, to get back out of trouble. But it's really important that, that every parent knows it's completely normal for babies to roll. This is a normal part of their development. You know, if you happen to walk into the room and they're on their tummy, you can flip them. Always put them to sleep on their back, you know, as, as a starting point. And also remembering that the really the most dangerous period, the highest rates of cysts, you know, happen you know, up to around three months. Mm. Uh, and if you think about a baby's developmental um, stages, you know, it, they're just getting stronger and stronger, you know, after that, you know. And so, you know, at four, five, six, seven months old, that they're rolling backwards and forwards like they've done it all their lives. Mm. What about, um, you know, those safe infant sleeping bags? Are they recommended instead of, you know, using a blanket? Absolutely. So, you know, we, we look, the, the sleeping bags basically mean that, you know, the bub can go into the bag. You don't need to worry about a blanket. They're, they're not going to get trapped under, you know, anything. And you, you can buy the sleeping bags that have a TOG rating, which basically is they're different thickness depending on what the, the temperature of your room is. So we often... We often think that um, babies are colder than what they are because we'll often go in and we'll feel their hands or their feet and it's and they're often cold. But the real temperature check for a baby is actually touching their chest or back. And, you know, their, their, their body temperature should feel pretty similar to yours. If it feels a little bit cold, then you can put something a little warmer on them. If it feels warm, then you, you know, take a layer off. Mm. Because, of course, during the colder months, most parents tend to worry that their baby is too cold and what they do mm -hmm. in that case is they overdress their infants. So adding those yeah. extra layers of clothing uh, could possibly be a risk due to, you know, overheating. Exactly. And that's why we always say just check just check their, their chest or their back. That will really give you a true indication of... Um, what their body temperature is That's as opposed right. to hands and feet because you know how often you exactly. know, pick up those beautiful baby feet and they're ice cold. Exactly. Think, oh, my God, I need to, you know, yeah, it, it's just not a true indication of their body temperature. Just check their chest and their back and that will give you um, the true temperature. You know, and we know that by, you know, we know ourselves as adults, you know, how much warmer does it feel when you put a beanie on your head? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so, but we also are then able to take it off exactly. if they're feeling too hot, whereas, we know that the babies don't have the capacity to, to to make those changes for themselves, and that's why we'll always say, mm. you know, keep keep head uncovered during sleep. Absolutely. Ideally, you just want to keep your baby's sleeping space well ventilated, um, and, and keep exactly. that optimal sleeping temperature for them. And there isn't an optimal temperature. What's comfortable for you is usually pretty, fairly comfortable for your okay. baby. We don't say, you know, rooms should be at X temperature. Um, I think in Australia, you know, we're lucky that we don't get that real, real extreme cold. Exactly. That, you know, that you, so, you know, we're quite fortunate. Absolutely. Uh, what about baby monitors? I mean, is there any indication that they reduce the risk of sudden unexpected death in infancy? So there is no evidence to suggest that they do. Um, we always talk about monitors in terms of, you know, it's about peace of mind. So we want to make sure that, that they're not a substitute for going in and checking on your baby. 
but you know we know for you know a lot of parents being able to to hear and see etc is makes them relax as parents and we know that a relaxed parent is often a relaxed baby um, but there is no evidence Mm. at this point in time to suggest that they save lives. Yeah. I guess sometimes, you know, it might actually give parents a false sense of security. Um, it's really important to not rely on them heavily because you never know what could happen. Exactly. And what about offering uh, your child a dummy at nap time or bedtime? Is it best avoided to, uh, in order to prevent the risk of SIDS? Not at all. It's actually interesting that the dummy one, there's been research um, that has shown that, that, that dummies for some reason actually have a protective mechanism. Um, and so I think in the US actually they, they um, encourage the use of dummies. I think where it starts to get a bit complicated is, is dummy use and breastfeeding. Um, and that I think particularly in very young babies, dummies can... Um, negatively impact a baby's uh, capacity mm. to feed and, and latch correctly. So again, we sort of say there's, there's certainly not a danger to using dummies, um, but it really is like parental choice in terms of, you know, can, you know, I, I know that, that my youngest daughter was 100% a dummy user and she breastfed and she was okay. Yep. Um, but, you know, I think it, it's really up to Every parent needs to determine what's right for their mm. for their baby. That's right. And you mentioned something about um, breastfeeding. That's associated with a reduced risk of SIDS. So why is that? Well, I, th I think there's there's never any argument around the, the protective um, impact of breastfeeding and all of the nutrients, etc., that come from breast milk. Um, and it. it the research just shows that you know it, it's protective in SIDS, and what that basically means is that when they do a, I guess, an analysis of the babies after a thorough investigation, there's probably fewer babies who have died of SIDS who are breastfed. Mm. In the religion of Islam, uh, breastfeeding is actually highly recommended and a very praiseworthy yeah. act. So definitely, we do encourage you know, mothers to breastfeed if they are able to, yeah. of course. I think there is no doubt the nutrients, the um, all of the goodness that, that babies get from breastfeeding, there's, there's no discussion around Absolutely. It. It, it. You know, I think the only discussion is, you know, and for those mothers who can't, yeah. we don't want them to feel less, we don't want them to feel less than because there's enough guilt that exactly. they're going to have as a lifetime of being a parent. You don't <laughs> need to add that one to it. <laughs> Absolutely, exactly. Now, another big topic is co-sleeping and there are many parents who still do that. They still choose to share a bed with a baby. Talk to us about that and how it significantly raises the risk of SIDS. So unfortunately, an adult bed as we know it and the way we make an adult bed is not a safe sleep space for babies. So you think about you think about the pillows, you think about the blankets, you mm. think about the doonas, you think about, um, you know, often two adults you know, in the bed um, and, you know, the the risk of a baby getting caught in blankets, doonas, pillows, you know, under the arm of a parent, etc., is there. Mm. What we also know, however, is that for a whole lot of reasons, parents still want to do it. So, you know, where we've landed at Red Nose is that we will still say that the safest place a baby can sleep is in his or her own sleep space. 
However, if you are going to bed share, these are the things that you need to be aware of. And we've got a heap of information, you know, on the website in really understandable um, uh, way that it's all been written that, you know, you don't want to have, you know, the doona or the blanket or anything anywhere near, near the baby. The baby would be, you know, on the outside of the bed and, you know, how important um, rather than in the middle and so that they've literally got their own space. That, that is separate. Probably easier to see it on the website because there's diagrams and what I'm explaining it. Um, but also understanding that, you know, if if there is, you know, the, the use of alcohol and or other drugs, that also increases the risk to a baby in a, yep. in a bed sharing um, scenario as well as babies um, who are premature or small, um, who are more vulnerable anyway so I, I highly recommend that your listeners if they are sleeping to jump on our website and just have a look in really simple diagrammatic way the, the, the ways that it can be done more safely. Mm. While we have established that you know co-sleeping isn't a particularly a safe option um, how long is it recommended for babies to sleep in their parents room? I know there are parents who tend to move their child to their own room into a cot pretty early on. So is there a recommendation as to when they should be doing that? We recommend that they stay in the parents' room for the first 6 to 12 months. Um, It's interesting. I'm having a a little smile. I was at one of the parent, baby and child expos a Mm. couple of weeks ago and a mum came up to me and she said she was carrying her baby and she said, how important is this? It's just, you know, sleep in our room for six to 12 months. And I said to her, why? And she said, you know, he's four months old. He's a really big baby. He's really loud and we're just not sleeping that well. And I said to her, you know, if you can, stick at it for another couple of months. Yeah. And, you know, we we understand that it's, you know, it's not simple black and white, you know, you some. Some parents just physically don't have room in their bedrooms for a cot. So once Bub has grown out of that that bassinet or cradle, there's actually not an option. Mm-hmm. So you know what we then talk about is you know making sure that that sleep space is as safe as it possibly can be. Absolutely, because you know it's a critical period. You know during that age, they're much more vulnerable. You know especially those infants who are born prematurely or with a low birth weight. You know, we know that the syndrome usually happens when a baby sleeps, but can it occasionally happen while babies are awake? It's not SIDS if it if they are awake. Mm. You know, unfortunately, you know, I we we have heard of cases where babies have just awake and just just died. Yeah. So you know, it, it won't be SIDS. You know, I think in those, it's not SIDS. SIDS ha- has to be accompanied with an episode of sleep. So really important, you know, as we're having this conversation, yeah. you know, to remind, you know, your listeners that most babies, the vast majority of babies, you know, navigate this first 12 months, you know, well. Yeah. You know, so what we're talking about here is is a much more, a much smaller percentage um, of babies, but we, we really acknowledge that the worry of SIDS is, is very much prevalent in, you know, as we've seen, 90% of parents. So I think, you know, there's the worry and then there's the reality of it happening. And as a cis mum, I'm not in any way minimising the impact of that. But the other really 
positive part that I actually didn't mention before about that survey mm. was that that even though like there was that worry in 90% of the parents, but 80% of those parents had reached out for advice um, or support about their worries. So they're kind of doing what they need to do yeah. to make sure that, you know, they're asking probably all the questions that you've asked me, yeah. um, you know, what, what can they do to keep their baby safe? And I yeah. think just to remind parents that to worry is okay. Just arm yourself with as much information as you possibly can, because we don't want it. We don't want a whole generation of anxious parents either. Exactly, exactly. You know, for parents who lose a child or lost a child to sudden infant death syndrome, what would your message be to them? How would you advise them to deal with such an ordeal? Oh, that's a big question. You know, I, I think, you know, what I've certainly learned in the, the many years for me that I've been working in this space is that grief is an incredible individual experience and it is so, it, it's such a personal experience that there's not a one size fits all. But I think that the key messages that I would, would say is don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help because so much of the support that is provided is about normalising the, the overwhelm of experience that, that parents have. And, you know, so often we'll hear parents, parents say, I think I'm going crazy. And mm. when we're able to say, you're not going crazy, this is a really normal, normal but uncomfortable part of grief and this will get better. You know, we're all about, you know, it's not going to go away, right? You, you, we don't get over the mm. death of a baby or a child. We learn to live with it better. Um, so that we're able to find, I guess, a, a place inside us that that holds that beautiful, special memory, all of that love, yeah. in a way that's not as prickly or as edgy as it is in those those early days, weeks, months, mm. years, even uh, of grief, and that there, you know, there there are people out there, there are communities out there that that get it, and you know, there is nothing. Nothing breaks my heart more, actually, than the thought of parents going through this isolated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because they don't need to. They don't absolutely. need to. Exactly. No one can ever prepare you for the loss of your own child. So it's really important that they reach out to the help that they need. And, you know, the same advice goes to family and friends. You know, they should provide support for those parents, you know, especially in the early days, weeks, months it's really important to provide that support when you can and also seek the support and realise that you are not alone in this. Karen Lutsky, CEO of Red Nose Australia, I'd like to thank you immensely for your time today. It's been a real pleasure having you on board. Thank you so much and, and you know, thank you to your listeners. I just kind of just wanted to finish with the fact that it is Red Nose Day coming up on Friday, August 12th yep. and it's actually through... Red Nose Day and the funds that we raise that we are able to do so much of the work that we do in this country in both prevention and bereavement support. So, you know, just really thanking, you know, the, the community in advance for, for helping us to continue to do the work that we do. And thank you very much to you and to those who are involved, those volunteers, um, those participants who continue to you know, spend their time in educating and supporting parents throughout these ordeals. Thank you so much for having me today. My pleasure. 
Keep up with the new. Keep up with the important. Keep up with it all on Keeping Up With The Current. Get your news fix for the day, stay informed and up to date with current affairs and the issues that matter. Nadia has you covered on Keeping Up With The Current.